saw the last episode with Jalen is like he's always trying to, you know, base hits. Yeah. And that's funny. I, I hit him up. I'm like, you know, it's funny. I think this is why you and I are so close because our ideologies are completely different. I'm going for the home run. I'm not mm-hmm. going to be honest. I'm going for the grand slam, you know, because I know that after so many at-bats, I will hit a home run. And the home run will make up for, you know, all the shit that you've been through. And as I keep going, I see that shit in more clear vision, bro. Like, this shit I'm working on right now is a whole fucking run. Yo, welcome back. This is Scholar Chips, the podcast. Uh, this is Tone speaking. Uh, my co-host, Larry. Uh, we just wanted to say thank you all for continuing to tap in with this every time we post to, you know, share our share our posts, like our messages. You know, I think just give us feedback. It's helped us so much throughout this journey um, that we would be remiss if we didn't just say thank you so, so much. Um, we're learning and we're growing. As you can tell, the, the brand is getting stronger. We genuinely have been trying to make strides towards uh, making this a platform for everyone and anyone to come on um, that, that is doing something that's unique and different and uh, you know that has a, a conversation to offer. And today is no different. Um, our guest, David Ume, He's the founder and CEO of Cloudy, which is a music fintech platform that uses data to unlock an entirely new asset class. Uh, He hails from the Bay Area. He's first generation, but he currently is residing in Chicago, which is how we came across him. In this conversation, we're going to discuss the ups and downs of being an entrepreneur. um, What's it like growing up in the Bay? uh, The pressures of being a leader and having it all fall on your shoulders. And yeah, hopefully you guys leave this episode with some appreciation of the struggles of an entrepreneur and how important it is to have a vision, even when no one else sees it. Yeah, so let's get into it. Just to kick it off, like, do you wanna go about Ume? I know that's what you, yeah. So Ume, just uh, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us about, you know, the funny you thing, The funny thing about that is though, like, the people that know me call me Ume, and yeah. the people who meet me for the first time when they ask that question, I literally tell them it's like only people that call me by my first name are lawyers. Literally. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my name is David Ume, the founder and CEO of Cloudy, uh, home of the Music Index, where we're making music count. It's like become my new little tagline. That is a nice, a nice tagline. <laughs> um, I'm actually speaking at a conference on Monday here in Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, FIA, it's like the futures and options, like biggest trade association in the nation for that. We got selected as one of the innovators of the year. So it's going to be interesting. We're definitely, I think, if not the most innovative, as innovative as the most innovative on that list. So just been preparing my speech for that um, from the Bay. Uh, like you said, you know, definitely first generation. Mm-hmm. Funny because it's like I always claim this little term, Bayerian, because like yeah. I grew up in the Bay, but like also in an African household. Um, and yeah, I feel like that definitely shaped my life. Absolutely. Um, not to mention like I, where I grew up, like it was a Mexican neighborhood, if, if I'm being honest, uh, in South Hayward, like city right outside of Oakland. Um, that also shaped me a lot. Uh, definitely picked up on Spanish at a young age. And, you know, kind of like they work ethic mirrored a lot of shit that I had to experience growing up, just having African parents. You know, they came to this country with a real dream, you know, just in the dream was really just getting out of Nigeria, you know. Um, and I think about that shit a lot. It taught me a lot about sacrifice. I think it gave me this stuff for what I'm doing now. Why don't we dive a little deeper into, uh, you know, your educational journey? Uh, just start starting out from, like, middle school all the way up or whatever. Just Yeah, no, the Bay is diverse as hell, so I went to, I even remember preschool. We used to go to this lady named Mama Mary. So she was like, she lived in our neighborhood. She used to watch all the all the kids when their parents was at work and whatnot. Um, bro, for the low too, I bet. That's how I had, I had the same one. I had one of <laughs> Betty, bro. Shout out, hey, shout out Mama Mary. Shout out Betty, yeah. Uh, and it was, <laughs> it was so sad when she died, bro. Like, oh bro, man, all right. Peter, Mary, man. Yeah. She was a great woman, bro. Like, I don't know how my parents found her, but man, she was great. I met a lot of lifelong friends through Mama Mary for sure. Mm. Um, and I went to Lee's elementary school and then went to a middle school called Redwood Christian, actually, you know, because Nigerian parents, they by any means, education is paramount, you know. Mm-hmm. Like from Redwood, I went to Hayward High, well, I went to Castro Valley High. That's where I met a lot of 
lot of other lifelong friends. Um, at Castro Valley High, is like it was a school where people are trying to get all their kids into because it's like in this place called Castro Valley, which is like crevice in the bay. It's not even really like a full city. It's like a, but it's not a township. It's like a just a just a area called Castro mm-hmm. Valley. And so like we had to do like an interdistrict transfer because like we lived in Hayward. So like to get into Castro Valley, you had to, you know, make the request and like so kids from Oakland, San Diego, they're all trying to get the kids into Castro Valley High. Uh, I say that to say I got kicked out of Castro Valley High. (laughs) 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 I say that to say I got kicked out of Castro Valley High my junior year. Um, There was this kid that was trying to fight and it became a whole big deal. and you know when we both got sent to the office you know they did their digging they found out that i didn't live in castro valley so i had to go to the neighborhood school hayward high um but hayward high was very instrumental in me becoming who i was it was a little bit of a it was a way more rougher school just by nature um but i also met a lot of great people there and i think the pattern match through my whole life is people Mm -hmm. man it's always been people i've always been naturally charismatic i've always been a person of interest just because I'm just un- unapologetically myself. And I think that that is something that I'm very grateful for. And I, I'm continuing to be grateful for that the more that I get older and look back on my life. Mm. I said that to say, I was in this program called DECA, you know, at Castro Valley where it's like, it was like a little business program. And you would like, you know, uh, learn about, uh, you will learn about like doing mock businesses in different business sectors or for whether it's hospitality, whether it's, uh, 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 you know, food service or whether it's uh, uh, retail, whatever. And then they would have like these little pitches and it'd be these groups. And like in the little group that I was in, we won like regional, it took us to Irvine and whatnot. And so when I got to Hayward, uh, to Hayward High, they didn't have DECA, but they did have like a business class. I don't know, I think I always just had a natural knack for business. I know mm. in middle school, my one of my close friends, he goes to, he went to uh, Bancroft, which is in San Leandro, and we used to jailbreak phones together and like, you know, flip those and sell. We used to sell see-through Jordans to kids and shit like that. Like we always, we always, we always had, you know what I mean? We always had. <laughs> so when I got to Hayward, there was a business class and there was a girl named Tasia in the business class. Tasia had just came back from a college tour. And so when she came back in class and she's bragging, she's like, well, man, you should check out uh, Hampton and Howard. I think you would like it. You know, it's cool. You know, they they doing early applications and whatnot, blah, 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 blah. And so I'm like, fuck it. I'm going to apply. You know, uh, I didn't ha- I definitely didn't have the best grades from being up. I didn't have the best grades, um, but I definitely wanted to experience what that would be like. A black college experience and B just what it's like to live outside of California. Like all I know is the Bay, like these five cities, San Leandro, Richmond, Oakland, Hayward, Castro Valley. Even from where I'm from in the Bay, every every city that I named is in the East Bay. We don't even go to San Francisco like that. You know, like yeah. the Bay and the East Bay, you don't really we know that was kind of like foreign land to us, unless you had family that was already like Fillmore or Hunters Point, which I did have some friends that were from like Fillmore or Hunters Point, but even them, they didn't even go to the city like that. Like, and and I feel like that's crazy because when the tech boom started happening, you also realize that like we're also getting left out of that too because because of that. You know, uh, there's a whole world starting to evolve and erupt, and the schools don't have a great pipeline to that. The schools are not giving you a track to this billion dollar economy that is brewing right in our backyards you yeah. know shit is yeah. crazy so it's like when i and when so when i started to leave you know you tell people you're from the bay and they're like oh man silicon valley it's like yes but it's like we didn't get the we didn't we didn't get the fruits of that you know mm-hmm. um, back to tasia so yeah tasia's like hampton howard i think i applied to howard and i applied to hampton and I think Hampton got back to me like super quick. I don't know what it is about their process, but they got back to me super quick. And like, my mom was like, that's where you're going. You know, mm-hmm. we're not about to play this game. But I think I applied to San Diego State. I applied to a couple of Cal States. I might have applied to UC Irvine, some other stuff, but California college system is very uh, competitive. Mm-hmm. And, um, like that was just where I ended up going to Hampton. And um, it definitely changed my life for sure. Uh, I was going to go on a full like scholarship for pharmacy, like because Hampton, they had the full scholarship. There's certain programs that they were giving people full scholarships to go 
um, to go study, but you had to have a certain GPA to maintain that scholarship. Um, and when I got there, I very quickly realized I don't think pharmacy is for me. Um, <laughs> Which is important, right? Because knowing what you don't like is just as important as knowing what you do like. And it wasn't that I don't, and I'm looking back on it, it wasn't that I couldn't rise to the occasion and do that. I just don't think it was the best use of my brain. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I found that, found that out within the first year. Then I pivoted to the business school. Um, and I think the reason why I went to I went the pharmacy route, like to try to do the pharmacy route was because because uh, of the money, which is ironic yeah. because I went into business, but I've never been into business really for the money like that when I'm, and I'm older now, like I, I realize it's bigger than that. So you're you're at Hampton, you're in, you're in the school of business. Do um, you major in finance? Just walk us through sort of uh, the rest of your days at Hampton and then sort of your first uh, opportunity outside of college. Studied econ at Hampton. So I took the econ route, the economics route. So mm -hmm. metrics, global world economy and whatnot. Always had this interest in like music and media. I think a lot of people did at the time, still to this day. Mm -hmm. But um, my roommate and a couple of guys who lived on my floor, you know, we became like a brotherhood. One of them, Devin, his mom worked at BT. She was like high up at BT. She was like, a, she was like a, she was like a, uh, like one of the lieutenants, you know, the guy that runs shit. And she, you know, Devin's from from Maryland, so you know, BT had a headquarters in Maryland, DC at the time, and um, they were doing a production on campus, and I got the opportunity to to be a production assistant for one of the events. That shit went really well. And I'm like, yo, you know, I made relationships with the people there. And next thing you know, in New York doing an event for BT. Next thing you know, I'm I'm in DC doing an event for BT. And I'm like, yo, this is actually uh this is actually like look at look at how things work out. You know what I'm saying? Like that is this is this is I never had any idea from being in class with Tasia that I would be now <laughs> in New York doing a New Year's event production for BT on some straight production shit, you know what I mean? And um, that was like junior year, at third year at Hampton, maybe going into senior year at Hampton. Um, and I don't know, it got to the point where I didn't feel like I needed to stay any further, you know? Like, yeah, loan amounts was getting high. Uh, still high. Yeah. Loan amounts was getting high and you know, I think I had just graduated without graduating. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't need to actually finish to graduate. Um, and that's when I kind of just took off. You know, I said, I essentially said, fuck this, you know. Mm. And um, that took me to, that took me to L.A. And that started a whole new chapter in my career. And at the time, they were spinning up this new network called Revolt. And, I've heard of it. Yeah, you know, be like, <laughs> <laughs> And um, what Revolt was doing at the time, but they were poaching a lot of people from BT, and so it just goes back to like network and like all that shit. They were poaching a lot of people from BT, and so I remember I went up to the office one day with the with, with a friend Akeem, and um, they're still actively like bringing people on. They're looking because they're trying to launch. They need they need bodies. They need hands. They need people that they can that they, that can help to have production experience. You know, mm -hmm. anybody. They need people who know their shit that can do editorial work, that can do uh, management work, that can be just be useful in the office. Um, and I remember that first day I went to the office, I'm like, what do y'all need? Like, I want to be here, you know what I'm saying? And the second day they call me back, like, yo, are you available at 8 a.m.? Can you be uh, on set for this? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And bro, there you have it. I'm working at Revolt. Um, and I'm working for a guy named Andy Harms who had a segment, who had a TV segment on Revolt, um, and I was dope. And then I was really working under a guy who was the head of programming. His name was Tumabasa. And like now he's the fucking global head of music at YouTube, you know? And uh, Crazy. yeah, bro, that shit was wild, you know? And um, I remember at the time Tuma had came from MTV. Then he, I think Diddy hired him at Revolt and he was head of programming. And he was always talking about this shit streaming, like streaming is coming, like streaming is coming, blah, 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 blah. And then I think he left Revolt to go to Spotify. He started Rap Caviar, you know, the playlist. Yeah. Um, yeah. That too. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because uh, after the launch, like, you know, Revolt was kind of ghetto at the time, if I'm being honest. Like, 
just like budget wise, all these things. Mm -hmm. Tuma was the one that let me go. Tuma actually fired me. Um, and uh, but it's funny because I remember when he fired me, he pulled me to the side because I was so tight. He was like, "You," he said, "I had to pick you because there's something different about you, David." And time is relative. You might not know it now, but time is relative. I'm like, time is relative. What the fuck are you talking about? While you're while you're firing me, bro, like, <laughs> yo, time is my rent is, is relative. relative. What the like, fuck? That means help you on your way out. Yeah, no and, severance, uh, no severance, bro. That shit was so painful, bro. That shit was so painful, bro. Because I mean, they were paying decent. It was paying handsomely, you know. Production pays handsomely, um, and I was kind of back to the drawing board, and, and I had just uh just just scrolling through Twitter and whatnot, and uh, Hip Hop DX was actually looking for two visual media interns. And they were trying to find people through Twitter to come and work there. And I just like, I DM'd them. I'm like, yo, I see this. I'm in LA. I'm down to, you know, I'm down because I want to keep the momentum going, you know? Mm -hmm. And they hit me back. I came in for an interview and they picked out of like 20 people, they picked me and this other guy who I'm still friends with to this day uh, named James Kreisberg. We stood up their whole visual media team, bro. Like first day on the job, like we, we go out to the west side of LA for like uh, film T Pain. We're doing shit with Stat Quo. We're doing shit with Lil Debbie. We're doing shit with a bunch of artists, bro. Like it was just, it was crazy. Freeway, like it would be people coming into the office every fucking day. And like me and James are chopping up these videos, editing these videos, publishing it for Hip Hop DX. Justin Hunt, he's our editor in chief. He's telling us what to do. Fucking Cheryl, like it was so many people. It was like a nice knit office right there, like kind of borderline Hollywood. And, um, I just like I was I found peace in the fact that one thing always turns into another. You mm -hmm. know, and and um that shit was just dope, bruh. And at the oh yeah, they flew us out to South by Southwest. That was my first time going to South by Southwest. Um, you know, we were working with a bunch of artists out there, just strictly on the video side though. You know what I'm saying? Just strictly on the video side, minding our business, we got passes, we taken care of for, we got stipends, you know. Um, and so at the end of the internship, it was like four month internship at the end of the internship. Now you guys want to start to see a little pattern, you know, uh, they're like, they can't keep the both of us. They can only keep either James or me, you know, <laughs> and Justin goes with James and it's kind of the same message. It's like, yo, David, like you, this is not for you. Like you're, 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 this is not like James is. James is, this is, this is like, James, James got this, you know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. you have, without saying too much, it's just like, you know, you're going to be good. And so at the time it was less hard to take it than from revolt, but it really was the catalyst that made me step in my bag fully. And so, you know, we got this clothing line that's, on, I got this clothing line that's on Karma Loop. I reach out to Karma Loop TV, um, like, yo, you know, um, I got all this experience, BT, Revolt, Hip Hop DX. How can I be useful? How can I be helpful? Um, looking back on it, man, it's like, damn, bro, just taking agency will get you so far. Being let go from Revolt and then being let go from Hip Hop DX just teach you about, you know, being at the mercy or will of others, right? Like, it sounds like it might have set you on a whole different journey. Bro, um, so so if I what did it teach you? Hey, if I would have stayed, I definitely would be speaking to y'all. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. It just it taught me a lot, bro. It was, I think it was the final catalyst for me where I'm like, yo, okay, maybe, maybe I can't rely on these institutions. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. like, maybe I can't rely on these. Or maybe not even that. What Tuma used to say really stuck with me, like time is relative. I would Google that shit. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Time is relative. You know what I'm saying? And um, I was at a crossroads. I'm like, all right, am I going to try to take this clothing brand all the way? I'm not just going to take another step forward. You know what I'm saying? And I think that what I did was just take another step forward. And so putting two and two together, I'm like, all right, we got these clothes on Karma Loop and Kaza. Um, how can I how can I maximize that opportunity? So I reached out to Karma Loop TV and they invited me to come out to New York. And um, that's where I met Shami and a guy named Tosh. And at the time they got a they had an office on 456 Broadway in New York. And um, they was like, they're looking for people to be helpful on the team. It's like, it's always people looking for arms and bodies to do shit. And they were killing it, bro. Learned so much, you know what I'm saying? From a creative standpoint. Um, granted, it wasn't 
a paid opportunity, but I was able to come to the office every day. I was able to work out of the office and be on sets and like make sure things were organized and like just be a be a fly on the wall. You know what I'm saying? While having my shit uh, on Karma Loop and all the while still keeping my relationships. One of my boys comes to New York from uh, from the Bay. He's building more relationships on the Canada side. And I'm just really experiencing this New York life. Learned a couple quick lessons from that New York life very quickly, which was if you want to live in New York at a certain level, you got to be bringing in that bacon. You know what I'm saying? You're making a, a pretty penny. Um, and that the creative life is cool, but it's not all that it's cracked up to be. You Like at the end of the day, the bottom denominator is money. You need money. You know, that's so I was blessed to have these plays that would keep my bills paid, but it still wasn't enough. And so that's kind of when the idea came about where I'm like, you know what? You know, I've really been successful in the black market on the cannabis side, but I can't put that on my resume. So I spent a lot of time thinking about what a good name for a cannabis company would be. And then I came up with the name High Speed. And I was like, yo, High Speed is a name that I could get behind. Like, it makes sense. Like delivery should be fast, but then also it's cannabis. So high speed. Um, so I packed my shit up and I moved back to the Bay. That's the only time that I've moved back home. Um, and I was there for like six months and I was really thinking like, all right, how can I get this off the ground? How can I start this? How can I be successful in this new space? And, um, I was going to just start it in California. I was just going to start it in the Bay, yeah, in Oakland. Even I even started to conceptualize it in Oakland, started to really think about how I could get it off the ground in the Bay. Um, and even trying to do it in a way where it's like destigmatize it, right? Like mm -hmm. it's not some Cheech and Chong shit. How can we be a tech driven company at the intersection of cannabis technology and logistics? How can this be something that is digitally forward um, that where it feels like Grubhub, but for, but for weed, you know what I'm saying? Like nobody's. What? What, what year was this? 2014. Okay. Okay. 2014. Ahead of, ahead of his time, for sure. Mm -hmm. 2014. And I'm like, all right, how can, yeah, how can this be at the intersection of cannabis technology and logistics? Asha was organized and Sunday was just like very serious cat. Um, and so we tried to like, at, in the beginning, tried to raise a little bit of funding for it, right? Cause I knew it was gonna take some money, um, but that fell on his face real quick. You know, at the, at the time it's like investing in a cannabis company, it's like, dude, be real. Like we're not about to do that. And then B is just like, how much time are we gonna waste trying to do that? So thank God I didn't really uh, let go of all my uh, tentacles when it came to that space. And so like we started off, we had a walkathon to trying to like do the destigmatization of it, um, work with some offshore developers to like create like a little app for it, you know, and then uh, put up an ad on Weed Maps. And then six months into it, we're in December, 2015. And I'm like, you know what? Like, you know, we got a decent amount of orders, you know, maybe like 25 to 30 orders coming in. People like the idea of the fact that they don't have to give cash that they can pay through the, uh, pay through the app or the console. Um, it's reliable, you know, we have our regulars, but weed is saturated in California, A, and B, it's like, I don't want to, I want to be innovative. Like I never wanted to do what everybody else was doing. So I started to look up just other places in the country and that were still like nascent markets. And at the time, DC, it was like January something in DC, they had just legalized it recreationally. And the rules in DC were just very, very different. Um, the way that they legalized it, it was called Initiative 71. And with Initiative 71, like the mandate was that you could grow cannabis, you could consume it, you could transport it, you could, uh, uh, as long as you were over the age of 21 within the District of Columbia, but you couldn't sell it. And I'm like, you know what? Like, what type of funky law is this? You know what I mean? And then my mind starts spinning. I'm like, you know what? I did go to Hampton. I got a bunch of friends that live in D.C. You know, I'm not scared of just going to D.C. and trying to, like, do something here. So what we did at the time, bro, we would literally go to these, like, cold press juice companies in D.C. At the time, like, when juices were, like, before the Larry Jim movement, before, like, mm -hmm. juicing was, like, this was, like, a very early thing. Juices were expensive as shit. But I'm like, 
I wanted to destigmatize this shit. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted it to be like I didn't want it to be a Cheech and Chong vibe for this company ever. I wanted it to be a very like kind of progressive type of thing, you know, like we need to move past that. You know, I got friends in jail, you know, and they're not mm-hmm. not demons, you know what I'm saying? They good people, you know what I'm saying? Um, and so we would buy these juices from like, whether it feels like Preda Manga or like DC Press and we would literally sell the juices for the price of the weed, whether that's 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 100 bucks, and we would give away the weed for free. So one day, um, we get an order from this dude. I think he's a regular. And um, he fucking puts out a blog post. He like writes for DC Inno. I don't know. I think Chicago has like Chicago Inno or like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so he does a whole fucking like page expose on like the experience of like ordering from this weed company that's really a juice delivery business bro this shit gets traction and like that was like on a tuesday bro by wednesday thursday we had like we had a co-working space at this place called impact hub in in dc because like again we always wanted to take like a like a tech approach you know office mm-hmm. you know team using slack like everything it was just very like that's what i always brought to the table like just innovative organizational thinking forward let's not move backwards you know what i'm saying and um Bro, we had Fox 5 News pull up to the fucking Impact Hub telling us, looking for us, telling us that they're going to run a story. They've heard about this shit. Telling us they're going to run a story about us, whether we're in it or not. And it was really a big decision because we, the team didn't want us to take the story. But they didn't want us to be a part of it. You know what I'm saying? Like, the advice that I got from my team was like, don't do that shit. Like, that is not a good idea. Fox 5 News, don't do that. Like, they're going to, like, don't, don't. We don't need we don't need that type of exposure, you know what I'm saying? But I really sad and thought about it. I'm like, yo, if we don't get in front of it, they're gonna paint us. They're mm-hmm. actually gonna paint us as yep. demons, you know. What I'm saying? And so I reached out to Lay. I think her name was like Kathy or something. I said, you know what? Well, actually, I'm a, I'm gonna pull up. I'm I'm okay with doing the story. Uh, she's like, okay, are you available at like 9:30 a.m. tomorrow morning? Like, we have to do this within the next 12 hours. Like that that's how we you know we have the beat right now. And so I'm like, all right, cool. Um, so I do the interview with her the next day and it comes out that night. I'll never forget. We're all at my man, Monty crib. He lives right by Capitol Hill, second in I or some shit like that, right across from Union Station. And, um, we are all watching the interview on TV and bro, when I tell you our orders shot through the roof, bro, that shit was like one of the most emotional, emotional nights of my life, bro. Mm-hmm. Like it was scarily crazy how much everything changed that day, bro. All all press is good press, <laughs> and we didn't pay for that shit. Mm-hmm. We didn't pay for that. Like it's that's another thing too. Like we didn't we couldn't buy that kind of press, bro. Mm-hmm. Then the next day, like we had Washington Post, they reached out. I mean, we had every major outlet reaching out. Like the fucking it was just a snowball effect, bro. And so we grew the team. You know, we grew our products, we grew our branding, we grew everything in a span of by April of 2016. I mean, we were doing like six figures a month in revenue, bro. Um, so, like, the federal question of marijuana still remains unresolved. So, like, what were your lawyers saying to you at the time? <laughs> so I spoke to lawyers about like the, I spoke to lawyers in the beginning about the whole like gifting the weed and the selling of the juice and like, mm-hmm. like you know, as we sat down and looked at the legal, the legalese, they're like, yeah, I mean, there's nothing against that. And man, I, I wish I was a little bit smarter back then because had I known the power of what it is that I had, I would have instantly tried to file some type of provisional patents or some type of trademark or license. Mm-hmm what we're doing because what happened what what happened was after like maybe the seventh or eighth news article it started to be other little companies trying to pop up and do similar things but we had all the juice literally at the time (laughs) um but with the banking piece is that what is that where your question is yeah 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 yeah. the banking piece it was tough we never had any issue with the regulatory stuff the fact that we were trying to be digital facing and just like this seamless process from 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 end to end like with the experience from purchasing to receiving your delivery, our biggest issue was processing payments. Mm-hmm. So like, and when it came to Amazon Pay, when it came to Stripe, when it came to PayPal, it was only a matter of time that they would realize, wait, this isn't just a juice company. These guys, like, what's really going on? Like, and then they would hold funds, whether it's for six six weeks or 
180 days. And as a company that's bootstrapped, as a company that doesn't have investors, that shit gets tough to manage, bro. Um, and, um, but still we kept on, we just ramped it up. We would have open more bank accounts and, and do more, uh, try to steer clear of that kind of scrutiny as much as possible. Um, then what happened, uh, then some of these juice companies actually started to reach out like, yo, we're seeing our juices on the news. We don't have a deal with you guys. Like, please refrain from using our juices. Um, and then, so there was a photographer I was working with at the time for like the site photography and shit like that. And she's like, yo, this keeps happening. Why don't you just start your own juice company? Like make a sister company, start a juice company. That'll be, you won't have to deal about worry about any of that shit. And so with the with the money from high speed, we started Capital Juice. And Capital Juice was dope because we we're in DC. Capital. I love the Entendre's Capital with an O, Capital with an A. Um, and then we would name the juices after different neighborhoods in the city. So like we had the Pepper, we had the Petwood Punch, we had the Berry Farms, we had the we had the uh we had the Berry Farm, we had the Uptown, we had the turmeric, uh, the, uh, the Tenley turmeric, all different parts of DC. And that's what I'm saying, I love DC. DC is a dope city, man. I made history in DC. DC was great. And um, Capital Juice became its own separate thing. Like Capital was liking the juice. We would do, be doing pop-ups. Um, you know, we started off uh, creating the juices in house, like in a commercial kitchen. We really was creating them in like the kitchen of my apartment to start off with. And we would we had like a, a produce partner that we were dealing with, Delta Produce uh, in Northeast, and we would buy the we would buy the uh, we would buy the uh, the uh, the fruits and vegetables, and we would buy the bottles wholesale to Caps, and we would make our own juices, bro. That really gave us vertical integration from that from that part. But how are you like just taking things from ideas to actually implement them? Um, I think I'm naturally scrappy, so it's like I'm not as scared to just take a shot. I think I'm always. I'm always open to shoot to take a shot and help always finds its way to me one way or another, bro. Like, and I think it's a testament to just taking a shot. You take a shot and somehow, some way you keep your eyes open. The help comes to you. Like little did I know that this photographer would be the one to help me start this juice company. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm only one person. I can't do everything by myself, but the initiative alone it inspires people to, to run with you. One thing I actually wanted to ask you is like, how important is it building a team? Like, for you like what do you look for when i think about people that I collaborate with to be honest with you like people bringing new ideas is cool but it means nothing if they're not trying to work um i, I don't got time to waste like after a while the people who just talk without doing anything i'm like i'm wasting my time and you're wasting your time too so like i like people who bring new ideas but also like people who like have some execution behind that so what's the uh, the current status of high speed and also capital juice? Uh, because at the, at the top of this, you you only mentioned cloudy. So I'm just wondering uh, what you got going on with those ventures. Um, that's a great question, man. And here's the thing: I think, like I said, even what what drove me to leave DC to come to leave Oakland to go to DC with high speed, um, I'm just never satisfied at like certain levels. And what I realized is that everything that was and somebody probably will, will say, bro, you're wrong. But like everything that I've seen that is successful to a certain point, um, it requires capital to really take it to a different dimension, bro. Mm -hmm. And it's not a secret. It's, it's, it's just the reality. Like when you have a capital intensive business, like a cannabis company, and you're dealing with payment processing shit, you, that's where investors come in handy. I mean, when you have a company like a juice company where it's like you have to have the product in order to sell and then you might have sunk costs for a while before it gets to a certain level, that's where investment is comes in handy. This is the fundamental of any successful business. And I just had to be real with myself. I'm like, am I going to keep struggling at this level knowing that the banking shit is a roadblock and investors are not going to invest in something like cannabis this early? Um, or am I going to be responsible and you know, know when to fold, you know, no one do got to know when to fold, you know, I think with any smart business. And um, I didn't know what the future looked like from that, but I was happy enough for what I was able to build and the team I was able to build and the, the, the path that we were able to pave to where it's like, you know what, like towards the end of 2019, 
beginning, starting like end of 2018 throughout 2019, I was happy. I was comfortable with bringing it to a close. So I, and so I brought it to a close and even for a bit of time, I tried to extend it off as much as I can. I tried to, you know, uh, lean out the team as much as possible. I helped some of my teammates get, uh, I don't like to call people employees, I like to call them teammates. Mm. Um, I like to get a lot of my teammates, help, help them get some jobs. Some were like managing some dispensaries in other cities. A couple of them went to Deloitte, you know, all using high speed as like a reference and doing all these things. Um, but it was important to bring it to a close. I brought, brought high speed to a close. Um, Capital Juice, I tried to keep it going for a little bit, but again, super capital intensive business, man. I'm going to be losing a lot of money for a long time before I start to make any. And um, I'm like, you know what? I can always resurrect it when I, when I become who I know I can be, you know? And so, yeah, at the time with all this in mind, I'm starting to think about what's my next thing. You know, what am I going to do? Like for a long time, I thought that high speed was my life story because it was so successful and it was like such a grassroots thing. And looking back on that now, I'm like, it was just a chapter. It was mm -hmm. just a chapter, bro. Um, so I'm in a group chat with a bunch of the homies from, like, that I used to work with in music, a couple of people that I went to school with, and we all doing different shit in life now. You know, I'm the entrepreneur guy that got high speed. Some people was, one of them was lawyers, some of them are managers, and we just talk shit about um, sports, politics, music, and whatnot. There's an artist from Maryland you know, I'm in D.C. at the time, bringing shit to a close. I think I was in Miami at Art Basel that year. This was like in December, maybe December 2018. And um, there's an artist named Foggy Raw that was uh, in that was from Maryland. And I had been bumping him in, in D.C. He was virtually unknown. Nobody really knew about who he was. But I was in Miami. I was with, I think, my girl at the time and a couple of her friends were like in an Uber head to one of the Basel events. <clears throat> And I'm playing one of his songs in the car and everybody's just going crazy. So I hit the group chat. I'm like, yo, bro, this song, like y'all check out Foggy Raw. This bro kind of nice, you know? And, um, and you know, when you send somebody a link, they're not really obligated to check it out, whether it's like a podcast or a fucking mm -hmm. article. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I doubled down on my like conviction. I'm like, yo, I think Foggy Raw is, he going to be next to blow in 2019. I still got the screenshots from the text today. Uh, I was like, bro, if I could put my money on this song, I would. And then the whole group chat erupted. They're like, first of all, let me listen to this song. Second off, that's a why the fuck can't we do that right now? How come there's nowhere that we can actually do that? Like, that was a really good point, yo. Like, why can't we do that? All the people that we've called to like that to be to be something. Mind you, I went to school with Earth Gang and Jid. You know what I'm saying? I I grew I went to high school with uh, Kamaya, you know what I'm saying? I remember when Kamaya was still working security before she was telling me she was going to put out this album. Like, look, thinking back, on, we done called a lot of shit, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but another thing, too, is everybody feels that way. Everybody feels like they know something. Everybody feels mm -hmm. like they have that predictive ability. Then started to break it down even further. Like, yo, like, music is a sport. Like, why isn't there a DraftKings for music? Like, all the parallels are there. You know, you got the artists, the athletes, the coaches, the managers, the stage, the arena, the awards, the championships. Shit. Only thing missing is the data. <clears throat> then the group chat, we just talking. We just like, and I'm like, first of all, y'all, I'm going to be the one to do this. This this feels like something that's clean, that's completely digital, that's like something I'm aligned with. I love music. Um, I love building shit from scratch. Um, I wonder where this could go. You know, and it wasn't immediately that I'm like, you know, I'm going to dedicate the next uh, tank of energy I have to this. But I just kept starting to formulate the idea. And um, that's when I like came up with a name. You know, I told you names are very important. The name really came from the weather, Cloudy from the weather. Um, the first artist that I thought about when I came with the idea was a dude named Foggy Raw. Yeah. Um, like Cloudy. Then like I like double entendre, so took out the D, put a T. We thought like, oh yeah, cloud obviously like cloud has cloud, a yeah. factor. Um, yeah. but, the, but it really came from the weather because like when it's cloudy outside, you always wonder when the sun's gonna come out again or what when's it gonna be raining. Like it's just you never know. And um, <clears throat> so I spent the next like six to eight months closing high speed, but really just fiddling with this idea of like what the DraftKings of music could be, the DraftKings of rap, what that would look like, and. 
Um, I go home for November and December, and I ran into a guy that I went to school with again, again, back to network, bro. And he's in town for Afrotech. And um, so he throws me a ticket. Um, I go with him. He's asked me what I've been up to. Um, he knows about high speed. And I'm like, yo, you know, I'm kind of like closing out high speed, but I got this idea that I've been like really chewing on for a bit, I'm not gonna lie. And I have like a really dope little presentation video about it at the time. And um, he's like, bro, this is genius. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I don't know if you know, but like I'm at Amazon in Seattle. I've been at Intuit, I'm a software engineer. I'm not the best, but you know, I'm, I'm pretty dope. Like I can help you build at least a scrappy version of this. And y'all know I'm scrappy. I'm like, scrappy is enough for yeah. me. That turned into us building an MVP. The MVP got organic traction through Bleacher Report when the pandemic hit and sports went down. We had like, bro, three cohorts full of people coming into the app, trying it out through the Bleacher Report post. That was supposed to be a joke. Um, then I'm like, oh shit, this could really be something. And um, I'm like, but I want to execute it at the highest level, right? The last business that I started, I bootstrapped it. It became successful, but also became a victim of success too. So I don't want that to happen with this, right? Um, but it's never been done before. And so with that being said, I uh, started to try to raise capital in the Bay, put together a deck, met some talented people through the journey, um, especially my data guy, Nick Canova. He was doing like data science for the Golden State Warriors, went to Stanford, um, met him during like a seminar, uh, told him about Cloudy, he's like, those are dope. I don't know much about music, but I know about sports. I know about data. I'm like, I need you. Um, mm. We've been locked in ever since. And so um, I was very unsuccessful trying to raise capital in the Bay. Uh, but I knew that was going to be the case because then they're, they're looking for a certain archetype, right? So I started to look up other tech hubs in the country. I look at, obviously, D.C. because I was in D.C. for the last however many years. Looked at Miami. It was like Miami's a little too playful. Um, looked at Austin, I'm like, I don't think I want to be in Texas. New York, I'm like, I'm never going back to New York unless I have, unless I'm up. Super Crazy, Brett. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy, Brett. I looked at Boston, but I wasn't really a fan of Boston, as y'all know. Mm -hmm. And um, LA, I've lived in LA before, and I like LA for maybe retirement, but I don't like LA for like, for building. I'm like, LA is not really my vibe. I'm from the Bay, Bay's way more down to earth. I'm not going to do the LA thing. Mm -hmm. Um and that's how I stumbled across Chicago, bro. And then I'm like, you know what? Chicago, I'm, I, I feel I feel like Chicago's a good bet. I feel like I could, with my Bay Area mind, with my entrepreneurial spirit and this crazy idea, I feel like I could come to Chicago and at least unlock the next stage of this. Like, I really believe that this could be something. So November 2020, I packed up and moved to Chicago, bro. Hmm. Um, that was like one of the biggest gambles I feel like I ever took in my life, to be honest with you. Um, cause I didn't know anybody. Uh, and within the first year of moving to Chicago, I learned about the world of futures and commodities. Mm -hmm. Got locked in with 1871. I met my first investor randomly, um, built a team. And now I can start talking about what this thing is that, that we built with cloudy and, um, where it's about to go. That's dope. So, like, where are you, where are you at with it right now? Like, pre-revenue, trying to just find VC money. Like, just talk to us a little bit about the journey that you're on right now. Yeah. So, Cloudy is dope because not only is music a sport, it's also a widely undervalued asset. And so, thinking about like how I was going to execute people being able to bet on music, like there was going to be red tape. When I say red tape, like legalese that come around, like just basically gambling. But I like did just like a little thesis like gambling is one thing. Gambling is just betting is gambling. But when you have data and you have like historical data you can look at, it's now considered investing. Right. Um, and so I had to like do all that legal homework and I learned about like the CFTC and I learned about what a future is and like how a future is essentially the financial form of betting and how like farmers were able to use markets to manage against like the the price of their crops yeah. it might not be the same price one year as it is the other year and then traders were able to come in and speculate on the movement of the prices that's how the chicago mercantile exchange was started Shit, mm -hmm. fulton market didn't used to be that it used to be just people selling like eggs and cheese and yeah. shit like that yeah. and 
the markets were crazy. And um, when I realized like I could join the two together to create like a financial exchange for music, that's what I was raising against. That's what I was raising the money for. Um, and so what we did was we acquired the data rights. You know, we worked with a data aggregator for all the raw consumption numbers in music streaming specifically. Um, I, hired, I hired a quantitative analyst and we put together the first financial index for the revenues generated from the streaming of music. Um, our index is called the MUSIQ and it's the MUSIQ 500. So we take the top 500 songs and we couple it with the average price that gets paid out per stream. So another way to think about it is like, you got the Fortune 500, which is like a list of the top 500 companies in the world. I mean, in the world of US, either or, it's like a more of a chart. Then you got the S&P 500. S&P 500 is a calculation of not just the companies, but it's also times like the total market cap of each of those companies. Mm -hmm. And you can actually trade the S&P. You can buy it, you can bet on the growth or the decline of the S&P because it has that volatility. And so I was basically able to look at music in that same sense where you got like the Billboard Hot 100, that is like the Fortune 500, it's basically just a chart. But we created the investable, we created the financial instrument that mirrors that. And we call that the MUSIQ 500. And so where we're at right now is uh, we're in the onboarding process to get our index onto Bloomberg Terminal. And that's about to launch before the end of the year. And I'm just super fucking excited about that because that's the first time there's ever been a pun intended financial instrument about music. Bro, you're a, you're a genius, bro. Like, 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 you just met us, right? You don't know us that well, but like, Tone is your target customer. Tone is a person that, um, when like Danny Brown or, or Rocky Fresh or Joy Perps, anybody, he'll be like, they have next, bro. They have next. Yeah. So, Tone, nah. Tone, Tone is exactly the person that would go on to Cloudy and be like, Joy Perp song is gonna boom, right? Like, that, that's kind of that's kind of one of the yeah, ideas. Or, or, or even to short a song, like, this song ain't gonna be. shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. or to even or to even longer short a genre. So we have the we have the we have the composite index that's basically like a measurement of like music as a whole, the mm-hmm. top five hundred songs. Period. Like, did did music trend up this week from a consumption standpoint, or did it trend down this week? Mm-hmm. And and then you have like we broke it down into genres. Like, if you thought that Afrobeats was going to be big back in twenty eighteen, you would have been able to long that. Or if you think that rap is actually declining right now, which a lot of people say it is, you know, you look at the data, it kind of is a little bit. Um, you could be shorting that too. I think with measurement comes volatility, right? And so I think if people, especially us as a community, were able to look at music in a financial sense, I think that it will build a bridge to just doing other type of financial activities as well. Because a lot of this finance shit is just muddled down by terminology. So a lot of people get away from it. But that is where a lot of wealth is being created, you know? And I think that music is so inherent that if you can look at it from a data standpoint, financial standpoint, we could really open a lot of doors and minds at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right? And so while I started this out and I had the just a straight retail focus, like the person like you like the tone that would just come on and, and bet on a song or or bet on rock this week or bet on Mariah Carey's song every fourth quarter, the holiday index, I would know the holiday index. There's a huge institutional side of this as well. So like private equity and financial institutions have been purchasing catalogs in mass over the last three and a half years. So our timing couldn't have been any better. And the whole purpose of futures is risk management. So like, how can they directly hedge against these portfolios that they're purchasing? That is a big reason as to why this thing has had so much explosive appeal. And I'm like sitting in the rooms that I'm sitting in these institutions, they, they bet big, they already do it with like energy. They do it with, crude oil, they do it with uh, wheat, they do it with, with with so many different so many different commodities and asset classes. Music is no different. And they know that if they're buying this catalog for $300 million, streaming globally has only reached like 38% of its potential. And, it ha- and as it globalizes and continues to have more access in different countries, over time, they're going to get the alpha back from that, from those investments. And so allowing people to have a way to hedge that and to speculate on that price, it just opens up the liquidity and the opportunity to access capital through that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of like what we've been able to build. So it's really pivoted from like, oh, just a music betting platform to actually like a whole universe where you can manage risk and you can access the price discovery for music. And it all starts with our index. Um, so we raised our pre-seed round in November um, to, uh, we raised our pre-seed round in November to build out the team, acquire the data rights, um, patent our proprietary methodology for the index, um, uh, 
get the the application. And when I say application, that is the most lightest way I could say it. Like the CFTC application to have an exchange is a fucking beast of 23 core principles, 21 exhibits. They want to make sure you have all these different parameters in place. Um, so we had to complete all that. And you know, you got to have a CRO and you got to have a, pub, a, a board with people who have been in the space and things. You got to have a clearing partner. You got to have the counterparties, the market makers, the liquidity providers, all these things. All the backbones that make the experience easy for the users. A lot of shit that you know, FTX did not have, as you see what happened this week. Yeah. And um, now what we're raising for is to take it to market. We've been able to build all the, we've done all the homework and the, and the sweat equity to build everything and to be recognized by the big players. Um, now the next step is to take it to market. And so not only are we launching the exchange um, either late 2023 or early 2024, we're launching the index before the end of this year in Bloomberg. Um, it'll be in other data sets. People, you know, as you start to see like S&P, Dow, you'll start to see MUSIQ. You know, that'll be a key benchmark for the music industry. We're also going to launch an ETF. Um, you know, so that'd be like a cash product. It's going to be the first music ETF. Uh, it's going to be a thematic ETF too, meaning that like 80% of all stocks in the portfolio derive their value from the theme, which is music. And then the remaining 20% can be like uncorrelated assets um, that drive the value of the index up. It's going to be a long only ETF um, and it'll be passive. So it's not like changing the constituents all the time. Um, this is important because like in an exchange, you have market makers and then those market makers, they need to lay off that risk for being the counters, the counterparty for the buyer to every seller and the seller to every bar, every buyer. They need a way to like still make money as they take that risk. And so the ETF will serve as a piece for that too. And um, yeah, man, it's, it's been cool. Uh, what does is, what is success look like to you? It's a tricky question, right? Cause like part of me is I'm already successful, honestly. Like the things that I'm, there's a lot of things that I can't share in the call right now cause they're still like, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I'm definitely already successful, bro. Like I've already, being able to put my mind to something and seeing it through and like, breaking barriers like that is what success looks like for me like my family being happy me being in communication with my family being able to um impact people that i speak with seeing the impact that i have on others being able to learn being able to move to new cities like it's nobody's business and figure it out like bro that shit did that with dc did that with la did that with chicago like you know what's next you know like that shit i'm successful just off of that alone um, but there's different levels to success, I think. And so it's like, it's being wealthy, being successful. I think depending on who you ask, that'll be a different, you'll get a different answer. But for me, I'm already successful. I think success is just being happy with the choices that you've made and being able to look back on your life and be like, damn, like, not that I don't have any regrets, but like, damn, like I love the way that I can look back on my life, bro. Win or lose or draw. Like, I love, like, success is being able to look back on your life with peace and, like, the level of pride, bro. 